It's the DEH Podcast, episode number 183. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And that would make me Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. It's funny, I was describing um, this podcast to a friend I was had lunch with earlier this week, and I misstated the, the, the number. For some reason in my head, we were up in the 200s, but no, 183. Um, I also described it as a much more polite version of Mac versus PC. Uh, <laughs> Extremely which, polite version. <laughs> uh, which is funny because I ran into um, Hodgman, John Hodgman. He was a character. He play, was playing a character on some um, uh, some show we were watching. I don't even remember which one it was. Yeah. Uh, but it was kind of funny. He's like, oh, yeah, I, I remember him. For those, for our younger audience member, as in yeah. singular, um, yeah, John Hodgman was the PC in the old Mac versus PC commercials of probably what a good decade or more ago now. Um, oh yeah, and uh, Justin Long was the uh, the hip, cool PC guy, or I'm sorry, Mac guy, um, and John Hodgman was of course the staid tie wearing PC representation. Yeah, you know, and you always have to think of you know the the young people like you were saying because I saw an article today that was the headline of the article was my first recession, and I was like. What? And it was like, oh, the people, <laughs> some people today as adults are, are experiencing their first recession, if you consider what we're in a recession. And I was yeah. like, that can't be right. Yeah. I, how many recessions? Uh, four, five, six. I don't know. There's a lot, a lot of recessions and I'm not that old. But yeah, I guess if the last one technically was 2008 to 2009, you know, then and that was uh, 14 years ago. Right. Right. So the one that gets me is um, uh, realizing the number of people uh, that, you know, are adults mm. who were born after 9-11. Yeah. Um, which and I started thinking about that uh, because I was born in 1957. I'm 65. Mm. And uh, it dawned on me that I'm actually, I was born closer to Pearl Harbor which mm. would have been their, you know, my parents' equivalent um, uh, kind of thing um, than, uh, you know, kids being born today. It's just, it's weird. It's just, it's so bizarre to think about some of these time frames. Anyway, you know, bottom yeah. line is, yeah, I'm old. I always think of it in terms of classic rock. Yeah, I know people do like Pearl Harbor and, you know, whatever, right. Kennedy assassination, all that. But I always think of like, when I was a teenager listening to like, you know, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or somebody, mm. um, I thought that was history and i was being cool <laughs> by being like i listen to old good music not the new stuff and how close i was in time to that stuff i mean yes. like sometimes barely 10 years away right. from some of the albums that i idolized that just seemed like so long ago and now all these years to pass and those that music and those groups are still just as listened to today maybe even because of more population even more listened to today mm -hmm. But the time has stretched to a point where it's like so much longer ago. But for right. me, it just always feels like it was old ancient history when I listened to it as a kid, and it's ancient history now. And I don't know, maybe that <laughs> maybe that makes me feel a little little bit younger. But 
Yeah. 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 Do whatever works for you guys. I guess. Um, see, it's funny because um, I never really got into uh, popular music um, as a child or even as a teenager. Mm -hmm. it, it took a while for me to uh, to start getting into stuff. And uh, as a result, I don't have that same measure, right? It was all kind mm. of, of different for me and odd for me. And, um, you know, now, of course, you know, the, the music that I started listening to at that time was, uh, is now, of course, quote unquote, an oldie, but, mm. uh, but as you say, and I wonder if some of the longevity of the music that we still consider to be um, old is in part because of the ease of distribution. I mm. say that because back in the day, uh, what you heard was more or less controlled by radio stations and what they yeah. chose to play. And they were always playing new stuff. So things fell off the, the playlists relatively quickly. And yes, of course, you could buy an album or you could you know get a tape or do whatever is appropriate. But um, nonetheless, it seems like the, the, the popular media of the day is what really controlled what, in fact, was popular. Whereas, yeah. whereas today... Everything is popular. <laughs> Everything is available uh, well, it, with a click or two. Well, I think you're right. Actually, so this very morning, I I saw on CNBC briefly they had like the CEO of Spotify. I think it was the CEO, and I just caught like two little quick questions as I'm flipping through channels. And one of those was how TikTok is affecting Spotify, right? The streaming music business on the one hand, yep. and yep. and and TikTok, and you know, with a lot of you know TikTok still being very music oriented, which is its original roots. Even though a lot of the stuff I see are like physicists explaining things, um, but and I instantly, as soon as I heard the question, I formulated an answer in my head, which was totally different than what the you know the CEO said. But I thought, you know, TikTok is the radio of today because it used to be that to find new music, you would listen to the radio. And that's how you find new music and say, oh, I like that song. You go to the record store, you'd buy the whole album. Mm -hmm. And then you'd be like, I really like this group. What other albums do they have? Mm -hmm. But, you know, radio, I don't, I don't really think people listen to, you know, younger people listen to radio at all. Right. They do have streaming stuff like Spotify and there's Pandora and Apple music and all that, where they can say, Hey, play new stuff for me. And it will play things that they've never heard before, which is great. But also, I think for a while now, TV and movies have featured so much music that people hear songs in TV and movies and like that song that was in that superhero movie that they saw. And they go and they seek it out in streaming music. But also TikTok, I think, acts kind of like radio. People hear that the music on, you know, uh, that people either singing along with it or just in the background. Right. And then maybe hear it a few times and say, what is that song? I like that song. I was just commenting on a popular song, the new uh, Miley Cyrus song, which is really good, uh, Flowers. And I had heard it and, you know, on streaming music and, and heard it. And then I had mentioned uh, mentioned it to my wife and she had she doesn't really listen to streaming music, but she says, oh, yeah, I know that song because so many people use it as their background music on the on their TikTok videos. <laughs> but, you know, I actually haven't yeah. heard that one yet. But yes, I, I, I understand. You, you, I, I like you the probably model. have. That's the thing. Interesting. You probably have heard it, but maybe not at full volume, maybe not as the main media, but something right. in the background. I, I just think it's like, you know, I thought, hey, is TikTok radio? I don't think the answer is yes, TikTok is radio. I think many things are radio, like TV and movies and whatever, you know, to, to have people catch on to new music. But I think part of that, the music discovery mechanism uh, is uh, TikTok and perhaps other social media too, obviously reels and youtube shorts but even regular youtube videos uh you know regular like 
you know, stuff that you see memes and all that, you know, use music. And that's how people discover stuff. It's like music is something that it just gets, it will get out there. If a song is good, it's going to find its place where you'll hear it somehow in some other form. And then it'll bring you back to actually listening to the music for the sake of listening to that music, not for some other reason. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Music discovery is a lot of what it's all about. So I, I, you know, have happen to have Spotify sitting here. And uh, so, yes, I now have homework post episode homework. I will, I will listen to um, flowers and <laughs> tell you later if it is something that, um, that I recognize, or if it is in fact, completely okay. new, uh, to me. Uh, I have not been spending as much time on TikTok of late, so it's very possible that I may not be um, as exposed to, like you say, a very common, um, uh, I guess we would call that an infection vector, but mm. um, uh, we'll see if it's come across somewhere else. Yep. Cool. So uh, speaking of breadth of of things i've i also was commenting to somebody earlier today or yesterday that i have a uh, an extremely eclectic uh, musical taste um, mm -hmm. i've i do everything from um edm to gregorian chant to pretty much everything in between with a few uh, notable exceptions and um, that made me think of the book Range that I'm, uh, I think I mentioned last week or the week before that I'm listening to the audiobook that I'm listening to. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm still really thoroughly enjoying it. Um, it's, it's definitely uh, brought some very interesting perspectives to uh, what it means to have a breadth of experience as opposed to just the depth of focus on one particular or a few particular topics. And it made me think this morning, I realized that one of the things that I have, I think I mentioned last week, I'm, I'm kind of proud of being a, a jack of all trades, but I think that uh, one of the ways that that manifests is that su is in something that I have also described to myself as, and that is being platform agnostic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we were joking earlier about Mac versus PC. For me, it's not a versus thing. They're both very cool, very interesting platforms, as is Linux. I use all I use all of them. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, I use I use Mac. I've got a Mac in my basement now. Uh, it was my desktop for a long time. Um, I've used obviously used Windows and PCs for decades because of where I used to work. Um, I, you know, my servers, which I manage myself, are running Ubuntu Linux. Um, I have an Android phone. I have an iPad to my left here. I mean, I'm using all of it. And I enjoy all of it. And I don't have that religious fervor that some people seem to have <laughs> that mm -hmm. says, you know, this platform or nothing. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm just not that kind of guy. And what it what it leads me to believe is that I may be a little bit more adept at identifying solutions or opportunities on one platform that may be completely unique to that one platform, but because this breadth of experience over other platforms and how other platforms do things and how it differs here and looks there, um, I just wonder if that's something that really does work to, uh, to my advantage, uh, given what I do, right? Trying to help people use their technology. I'm kind of curious, um, you know, I know that you're significantly more Mac focused, but I know yeah. that you've used PCs in the past. Um, mm -hmm. I have no idea if you've used Android at all ever. 
Um, but the mm. bottom line is, I'm just curious if if you have any thoughts on on agnosticism versus um, uh, fanaticism. Well, yeah, I mean, I I, I definitely have used pcs in the past uh i don't have much going on right now except a, a boot camp partition on a like a 2016 intel macbook pro um that's useful for like testing things and that's really all i've done in terms of windows simply because you know i'm i'm doing everything on the mac there's really no reason to use a second platform not that mm -hmm. i have anything against it but it, other platforms like android early on in mobile development for me for developing mobile games and such i was trying to be agnostic and do you know here an iphone version of the game and an android version of the game so i'd always have an android phone around like i had one of the very first google phones mm -hmm. uh, that they came out with because that was like an easy back then you know it was hard to actually buy a phone that wasn't attached to a net you know a network you had to buy right. like Verizon, right. whatever and google came out with one that was like oh you you could just buy ours and then you could figure that out later so i had that for a while and i had like a a kindle like a full fire uh, you know a oh a right full android yep. kindle the yep. fire or whatever and i had a like a samsung early galaxy tablet and all for helping me develop my games but i quickly saw that my revenue uh was 90 nine percent on the ios side i i think it has to do more with the stores the android was it was fra you know uh, fractured it was like there's a there was a google yes. play store which is now i think a lot more dominant than it used to be but there was like an amazon store and a samsung store and a verizon store i mean there were all these stores and and just there was tons of stuff in them and i i just put my apps up and i didn't have any marketing budget but i was getting sales or maybe downloads with you know ads and stuff uh on the ios side to make it worthwhile for me to do it i was not getting them on the android side so after a while i just gave up right and just said well i'm not good it takes a while for me to develop you know the the android version there are things that need to be done so i gave up and then all my devices got old and you know as android things tend to do a lot of people criticize the apple iphone stuff for like stuff gets old and then oh can you can no longer use the latest version of ios but I think Android's a lot worse, at least it used to be, because I had these phones that were like, here's my developer phone. And then two years later, I'd find out it, it won't even run the current system. It's like it's only right. been two years. Right. Um, and Apple goes a little further than that. I don't know if things have gotten better, but it seems like that. So I don't have any working Android devices right now. I, um, I was thinking when you started talking about platforms, I immediately thought of the uh, Siri, Google, Alexa, you know platform interesting yep yep that's yeah. another it's another and variation of that same i have thing. all i have all three do um, you i okay. definitely have more hooked up to google in terms of like internet of things mm -hmm. just because of availability on a lot of really inexpensive things is just google or amazon it isn't siri that's all going to change with matter which i think we'll probably be talking about at some point in the coming months uh the, you know the platform that brings them all together and so everything just works with everything else but um but yeah things i would get because i wouldn't go out and say i'm going to you know buy an internet enable this or that i just end up with them i'd want to buy something and i'd be like oh this happens to be something you can control but you can only control it with amazon system or with google system right. and then i've been like well I'll do it with Google system. And I just went and I've got a bunch of things hooked up to that. And I also have two, two listening devices for Google. So more availability throughout the house, or I've got one in the kitchen for uh, Alexa 
and I've got one in my office for Siri. Um, I, I don't mind having all of them for, it's interesting for things like weather. Sometimes if I don't get an answer, I, I like, with one, I'll just ask another one, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's going to go down to what? It's going to go down to five degrees tonight. We could do better than that. <laughs> what <laughs> do you got funny. Siri? You know, um, but it's you know, interesting things, setting timers I, and stuff, you know, I've got all, obviously all three of them just by virtue of having the appropriate devices, but mm. I only use the Amazon solution. Uh, it's the mm. only thing we have hooked up to, and it's mostly because of internet of things. It's, it's what's controlling, you know, my ring, um, yeah. my, you know, the lights in various places and so forth. Um, I, I would like to use Google's more particularly when I'm driving but I've never been able to suss out exactly how to get its attention properly and what I'm allowed to say. Um, it's very bizarre, uh, but it does seem like the uh, the driving solution is an opportunity for a lot a lot of these guys to get better. Uh, supposedly, I can run um, the Amazon solution on my phone and have it be available, but it's not quite seamless. Uh, because it because of the conflict with Google, I've got a Google Pixel, so that stuff is kind of hard baked in, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, on the uh, uh, on the Amazon side, there's an app, but kind of have to touch your phone, and I don't want to have to touch my phone while I'm driving. Those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, it's, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about those three specifically as uh, as another case of of platform wars. Yes, and hopefully this matter thing will bring them together, but. I started looking into it because I'm looking maybe to get a new front door kind of lock system. And I'm like, if I'm going to do that, I want everything, right? I want to have a keypad. I want to be able to unlock it remotely. I want to be able to have like extra codes that I can give people that, you know, so I know who, you know, come if a service person comes in, I know it was them when they came in, when they left and all of that. And I want to have it work with NFC. So it works with my Apple watch, my iPhone, all everything. And right. I was like, and I know matter is going to be this new thing that's going to tie all these systems together. So maybe get one that's matter enabled. And then I discovered that, of course, a lot of things aren't matter right. enabled, but in the future they will be, which reminds me of the old XKCD standards comic you know the i'm looking at it right now the situation there are 14 competing standards 14 that's ridiculous we need to develop one universal standard that covers every use case right situation there are now 15 competing standards exactly. and it's the same thing with like matter it's like there are these different standards now it's like that's ridiculous none of them work with all the systems let's create one that does oh now there's another competing standard and you're going to have old devices that you know simply don't work with matter because they predate matter so but uh, it's interesting because when you take a look at that same model first of all i absolutely agree i'm very skeptical about something like matter coming in and quote unquote solving this but yeah. when you think about it we've had this same discussion before to take it back to the Mac versus PC versus Linux debate, right? Yeah. Um, all three exist, all three coexist. And what's happening is a lot of the work we are now doing has, in a sense, moved to a platform independent place. Um, that's one of the reasons it's so easy to go between these various various platforms. If you choose to, you can do all of your work online. Um, you know, I can uh, WordPress, my my website software. It works regardless of what platform I'm using. Uh, Google Docs uh, uh, and various alternatives, even Microsoft Office online. They all work on different on the different platforms. Uh, so, in a sense, the 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 incompatibility has been kind of um, I don't want to say rendered moot or irrelevant, but mm -hmm. it is certainly 
less relevant than it once was. And I'm wondering if that's perhaps a more realistic direction for um, things like, um, you know, voice response and home automation. Yep. So, uh, you know, I, so yeah, I, I try not to be, you know, back to your original point, I try not to be like, you know, a platform zealot at all. Uh, I think they're all tools. And if you find a tool, you know, you should uh, go with that. I used to tell people when they back during those Mac PC war errors, you, you mm -hmm. know, with the, with the um, commercials we were talking about, yes. I would tell people, Oh, I love Microsoft. They've got the best gaming system, right? Because I was <laughs> the original Xbox at the time, Xbox right, 360. Right. And and I still think that I'm still an Xbox gamer. I don't have a, I haven't had any of the PlayStation since the PlayStation One. <laughs> I've only had Xboxes. And um, and that's what I, you know, choose to use to when I when I'm gonna sit in front of the TV and game. Um so yeah, in some ways it's like, yeah, Microsoft go that, yeah, you know, I, I'm like on the other side of the thing when it comes to uh, gaming consoles, I'll argue that Microsoft has the best one, but then, you know, it's like, I don't have windows or, you right. know, whatever. Right. Um, Android it's, it's hard. You know, I've had a lot of comments recently. It's funny on people that um, on some of my shorts about iPhone things, and they've been saying, here's how you get it done on, they don't say Android. They say Samsung. Right. I've had right. so many comments and I'm like so many that I thought, you know what, this thing they're talking about, is it a Samsung specific thing? And I looked it up and it's not, it's just part of the Android operating system. Yeah. It's but weird because, and Samsung's notorious though for that. They, they, they load a lot of software onto their Android phones. So it does really blur the distinction. It, it doesn't surprise me at all that people are, I don't want to say confusing, but conflating what, um, what is and is not Android. So I discovered something earlier today that, God, it's probably been there for decades, mm. um, but it's one of those things where of late, you and I have been talking about how important it is that everybody basically own their content. Uh, it's basically a side effect of social media. If you post something on social media and then social media goes away, then whatever you've posted has gone away. Uh, so obviously we're in uh, big... Um, uh, supporters of using uh, your own platforms to do mm. your own content, to publish your own content. And one of the ways that turns out to be really easy for people to do is provided by Google. If you have a Google account, you already have a website, uh, which cracks me up. Uh, basically, it's it's a side effect of Google Drive. They made some changes to it, which is what brought it to my attention. But if you go to Google Drive and hit new and hit more, you'll uh, open up something called Google Sites. And you can create your own website using Google Drive. Um, and it, it's live immediately as soon as you hit publish. It's very simple. It's got a very, very low barrier to entry. Um, there'll be a link to my example site, sites.google.com slash view slash Leo's example site, um, which literally didn't exist. And all of a sudden, you know, within like a minute did uh, just, it just cracked me up on one hand that this has been around and not getting a little bit more publicity because for a lot of people, I suspect it is a very, very useful and like I said, easy way to put content online that 
others can access without necessarily having to invest heavily in hosting or website design or you know all the all the kind of stuff that I think really does stop a lot of people from uh, from going online. While I was thinking about it, I decided, you know, I wonder if Blogger is still around. Remember Blogger? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it is. Um, I, in fact, I went and looked at Blogger and found that indeed I had an example website that I had created probably about 10 years ago (laughs) that, um, uh, is still there. I've got a link to that too, leosexample.blogspot.com. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to resurface that for folks to, to remind them that sometimes it's easier to, um, you know, create your own site and do your own thing, then you might realize it doesn't have to be social media. You do still have to do things like back it up with which with Google is really easy. It's Google takeout and you could back up the whole thing up uh, very easily. Um, anyway, I just I just wanted to resurface that for folks just because I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, I uh, I after you put that kind of in our show notes, I was like, yeah, I did. I do know that that's still around and I do know you could still use it. And I looked and I'd actually used it in a tutorial video uh, a few years ago where I needed to demonstrate uh, using uh, NFC tags. And I was showing like how you could make a game out of NFC tags, uh, like a scavenger hunt game. But you have to have a URL. You know, the idea is the NFC tag, you scan it, it goes to a location. So oh, if you want right. to, if you want to tell, I mean, if you want to tell somebody something or show an image or a map or whatever, the easy thing to do is put it somewhere on the web. Then right. they scan it and it comes up to, with that web page. And it's like, oh, here's that information. And I used Google Sites as like the way to here's a free way nice. that you can easily create these web pages to yep. use in this game yep. so so yeah i guess i did know it was still around <laughs> uh, it's funny because you know the the i was thinking as you were talking about your scenario the other solution for that of course if you all you want is a url to a to a document you can of course use something like dropbox but the nice thing about google sites is that it's a site and you can continue to update it and you can do things with it and you can have multiple pages and pictures and do everything mm-hmm. you wanted to do with a with a website as simple or as complex as you uh, as you want to do it and like i said it's all basically free if you've got a google account you've already got one of these things and you could have more than one if you want to right so anyway. if you've got like a restaurant or a small business and you have no website whatsoever and then when you go to google maps the website thing is like grayed out because you don't have anything there not even a place listing your actual hours right um, you don't have any any excuse you could just use your phone and probably and go just in. do this yes yes please just put a put, page of text up there with a little picture of your restaurant we need uh, your address so your do. and your hours address you get, hours a phone number uh just a basic description yep, of like yep. yes and, we do have bottomless uh margaritas or whatever <laughs> and you get bonus points if you if you have some kind of a menu but no it's funny i actually had this discussion with someone a few years ago who <clears throat> they were for their uh, place of business, they were putting together a website. And I was very, very impressed with the website designer because these are exactly the things you want to know. Where are you? Are you open? And what do you have? Um, yeah. And yeah, what's your phone number, of course. Um, and that they, the website designer did a wonderful job of making that all not just immediately available on the homepage, but easy to find. Um, mm-hmm. and yes, you're right. There are so many of these places that have no website at all, which in 2023 is honestly not acceptable. Um, it's just you know, too many people are, you're losing business if you don't do that. And this is one way to do it easy and for free. Yep. Cool. Um, 
Hey, so I came, I don't think we can go an episode without talking about AI. That's probably going to be, that's probably going to be like our, you know, Elon Musk of 2023, right? But And I think it is going to dominate uh, the news. So I've got a few items here, but cool. one of them is that I, I found this article and the article was about uh, OpenAI, which is the company behind ChatGPT that is is right. the cause of this explosion of AI uh, news that is happening now. Um, they're hiring lots of people, including something like 600 coders. And you think, well, that's not unusual for a company to hire coders, right? They need people to program things. Yeah, these are not coders for actually building their platform. These are coders that are actually adding more data to the AI's model. So the coders supposedly are doing things like coding tasks, debugging tasks, and things like that, not just actually doing the work, but coming up with descriptions of why it works like this and you know how this works and all of that for the AI model, you know, the machine learning to, to ingest and add and make it a better coder. So they have people actually doing that, which made me think it's like, so AI is really, you know, the 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 data is really coming from humans. It's right. not like you turn on the machine and then it starts learning, you know, figuring things out for itself. And now it can tell you how to code something or it can tell you the history of Brazil or whatever. It can, it has to get that data from somewhere. And to make it better, what you need to do is feed it more data. So you can actually have people telling it stuff and it will get smarter the more stuff it's told. Right. And I started to think, that sounds familiar because yeah. because that's actually how humans work too, right? Exactly. You know, so it's like the AI. So it's like, all right, the AI is just mimicking civilization because all of the people today, <laughs> including you and me, right? We didn't. I didn't invent calculus. I learned calculus, right? right. I didn't. You know, most of the stuff. I'd say ninety nine point nine percent of all the stuff that I've done, uh, I have learned, and now I know how to do it. And a tiny amount, I've actually been able to invent myself, probably small things that I'll never realize I invented. I just needed something. I figured out how to do it. Right. And I didn't realize that nobody before me had, and it was something stupid. And probably most people are much even closer to hundred percent, you know, if you're not the inventor or creator type. Um, so yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. I mean, In the basis for artificial intelligence is human intelligence. So <laughs> So a couple of things. One is the the, the barrier for um, uh, for quote unquote invention turns out to be really really low, and I learned this um, when I got my first patent back at Microsoft mm -hmm. um, because I I I had done a thing, and I thought okay well this is pretty obvious it's this plus this plus this, and you end up with a result. It was a compression or a, an, a yeah compression scheme. Anyway, uh, no, it's not that I had invented some magical new compression scheme. It's that I had in, I had combined three compression schemes in a new and unique way. Uh, so sometimes invention looks a lot less like inventing something new as it is combining existing things in a new way. Uh, which I thought, okay, yeah, I kind of sort of makes sense to me. I still felt like. Patent software patents were a little too easy to get at the time, and they probably still are. Oh, but the, yeah, yeah. But the bottom line is that I thought, um, you know, that that little piece of knowledge, that that combinations, new and unique combinations of existing knowledge, are in fact new knowledge, and that's actually true when you generalize it. Mm -hmm. The other thing that came to mind, though, as you were talking about, um, you know, AI is HI essentially, yeah, is that there is a controversy right now 
with Dolly and some of the other image-based AIs, Uh because what they've done is they have trained the image model on existing uh, images collected, in quotes, Mm. across the internet. Right. Yes. So they've gone through and they've just looked at all the photos that they could find and, and done whatever they do to build their machine learning model um, <clears throat> of what an image should look like. Image owners are claiming copyright infringement. Hmm. And it's unclear to me uh, where the line should be, because as you point out, how does a budding artist learn what mm. is and is not art? They do it by looking at other art yeah, and learning from that other art. This is good art. This is bad art. This is art that fits this kind of mold. This is art that looks like, um, um, you know, literally Salvador Dali. This is art that looks like Escher. This is art that looks like Da Vinci. Um, these are the kinds of things. And then you can go off and you do your own thing, right? You combine all these pieces of knowledge that you've acquired over time. And that's what humans are doing. Mm-hmm. And that's what the AI model is doing. So I have a really hard time. The, the difference, ultimately, the difference is that the AI model is doing it much faster, right? That's yeah. one of the things that is happening with whenever you apply computing technology to some of these things is that they start happening at a pace that makes humans uncomfortable. And uh, you know, it's one thing to have one person be inspired by your work, um, but it's something else to have AI be quote unquote inspired by um, all possible images found on the internet. Uh, the magnitude and the speed at which that is happening is making a lot of people uncomfortable. And I, I will absolutely you know, say categorically, it's not an easy answer. I don't think it's a copyright issue. I think there's, you know, the, but on the other hand, you know, should people be getting compensated? I don't know. I just don't know. Because as you say, this is how people have been doing it for thousands of years. Yeah. And, you know, there's, I don't think we've talked about this, but there's uh, with the uh, pictures, done in with ai right there's two stock photo companies now probably Mm -hmm. more that are now allowing ai in two very different ways um one of them is the one i use adobe stock Mm -hmm. adobe stock is has an interesting thing and i actually stumbled upon this um adobe stock said that they're going to allow creators to submit ai created images Oh, interesting. So you have to be, uh, you know, you're you're somebody that submits there, and you use AI. You know, you pay for Dolly or whatever you're doing, and you probably have to, you know, work at it because you know, you know how those you you and I both use them. You can't just speak a few words and perfect, done. You know, usually you have to modify it. You know, sometimes you just got to play around with it for a while and then end up with a few interesting things out of hundreds of images generated so the idea is here that you know creators could go and play around with it for a while and when they get something that they like you know after modifications and all they can now submit it to adobe stock and i read about that and then i forgot about it and then just today i was uh, looking for background uh, graphics having to do with uh, a video i was making for my thumbnail and the term ai was actually something i was i was like i'd like to throw terms out there like 
just to see if there's a background image that somehow incorporates this theme that I hadn't mm-hmm. thought of. Because sometimes it comes up with something. It's like, oh, I didn't think of that. That's a neat background for this uh, for this topic. Right, right. So I threw in like background and AI. And I came out with some stuff that I was like, whoa, look at all this. Oh, this is all AI generated because it's super high resolution, very detailed, sometimes a little surreal, mm-hmm. but but beautiful stuff. And it's like, I can't, uh, scrolling through all of it, it's like, oh, this is some of it. And obviously it was tagged AI, which is right. something I think you're supposed to do. I was going to say you'd have to. Yeah. 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 So that was, um, that's how Adobe's doing it. Shutter, I think it's Shutterstock is doing it a different way if, uh, and I don't use them anymore, have in the past, but they've either announced you can do this soon or maybe you can do it already. Part of their services now you can use, like I think it's, I don't know if it's Dolly or one of the competitors through Shutterstock. And you can actually say, I need need this image and will actually return you results that are newly created from that system. Um, so some sort of licensing deal or whatever. So that's, which is more appealing to, even to me, even though, you know, I like playing around with the, the stuff like that. I'd almost rather just go to a system and just say, I need an image of this, you know, give me something and not, um, actually be like in the creator mode. So anyway, it's interesting that we definitely probably have started to see, uh, AI generated images in stock, uh, graphics already it's, it's funny because you prompted me to look because uh, i had some vague memory of this um i uh use canva mm-hmm. for yeah. a lot of um uh, image generation for various things and they come with a big stock photo library i'm not sure whose it is uh, but i had this vague memory of them mentioning ai and indeed um, they are making available uh text to image which they call you know an ai but they also have the uh uh, AI writer available as well using magic write to generate text, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, they mm. of course claim it to be in, in, uh, open beta, but, um, nonetheless, it's, it's AI is showing up everywhere. You're absolutely right. Yep. Indeed. So, um, so switching topics, something yes. else that I think, uh, is a good topic here, hardware keys. So hardware keys, are something that have come up recently because Apple's latest operating systems suddenly allow hardware keys as your second factor authentication. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, Apple made a big splash about this. They um, uh, they support a few different ones that are out now that you you well you could have easily gotten, you know, in places like Amazon. I actually was curious and thought, well, maybe I'll just get one to see what it's like. Right. And they're all like hard to get, probably because all these uh, Apple users are like, oh, I want to try this. Yes. Um, so, but you know, you can get a hardware key. They work mm-hmm. on the iPhone, the iPad, the Mac. You know, it's all, all across the systems. Mm-hmm. They work. Uh, basically, the way they would work is you can't log into your Apple ID. So this is for Apple ID. You can't log into your Apple ID, uh, your iCloud account, all of that without this physical key, which looks like a little thumb drive kind of mm. thing. Yep. And you have to either have it plugged into your computer through the USB-C port or lightning port on an iPhone or NFC. So right. it has to be very close. Um, and a lot of them there are actually all the devices look like they were, had many ways to connect. I mean, like one I was looking at was USB-C, just plug it into the Mac, but it was NFC also. So your iPhone, you didn't have to have a lightning adapter or anything for it. 
Um, this prompted a lot of questions from people. I kind of ignore it <laughs> to tell you the truth. I was like, because <laughs> I was like, oh, I know what this is. I don't need it. I don't think my audience needs it right now. Um, so uh, maybe I'll talk about it. It'll be a fun topic to talk about like in the summer or something. I don't know. Right. And But I instantly got a few people who saw the press releases and were dismayed that now they had to have one of these to use their Apple devices. I was like, no, you don't That's need option, to yeah. have yeah. one. Yeah. It's not only optional, but most, the vast majority of people are going to go on just fine and never, still not use one or know what they are. Um, other people saying that they wanted they wanted one. When was I going to do tutorials on how to use it? And my question back to them was like, why, why? one? <laughs> exactly. Like, what's your what's your use case here? Um, but, you know, they I've never used one for anything. Um, and the they've been around for a long time so like you know the, uh, i'm tempted but there are some drawbacks to having one uh and of course the, the the cons kind of outweigh the pros in a lot of ways like having to have it with you all the time um and you now you said that you have used one i hold in my hand ah. I'm, I'm holding it up here um for you <laughs> folks who are watching your your podcast i can hear um it. a uh, I don't know if that'll work or not. Um, a YubiKey, which okay. is one of these devices. Mine's a couple of years old. I think it has NFC built in, but of course I just use the USB connection. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I I use it very rarely. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I also have things set up to be to not take full advantage of the additional security that it truly offers. I will say this, that uh, in the realm of two-factor authentication options, a hardware key is probably uh, the most secure option available. Mm. Uh, and it, uh, when I say hardware key, it could be, you know, literally something like a YubiKey. I'm also going to throw into that bucket um, hardware devices that have a um, uh, just display a six-digit number that's always changing. Mm. But once you associate with your your uh, account, uh, you have to you know that's where you get your six-digit number. Um, the reason I say that is because there's one and only one, and uh, it's literally a piece of hardware. Uh, almost all the other solutions, be it uh, Google Authenticator or SMS or um, even email, uh, which can often work as a second factor, um, they're all subject to slightly more risk. Uh, with, a, with a YubiKey, with any kind of a hardware authenticator, you either have it or you don't. Yeah. You can't fake it. You can't clone it. You can't steal it any other way than physically stealing it. Uh, so in, in what I would consider to be high security operations, uh, I would opt for a, a hardware key probably every time. And yes, that does mean you have to have it with you in order to do whatever it is you're needing to do. Now, as we know, two-factor authentication 
eliminates at least one of the most annoying things. You don't have to have it with you every single time um, unless you want it to be that way. Uh, typically, two-factor authentication is only the first time signing in to a new piece of hardware. Um, so if you're local, you sign into your PC, you use your two-factor and you say, yep, go ahead. I don't need that two-factor here anymore. You're fine. It's like you, you don't have two-factor. It helps protect you from uh, folks overseas <laughs> who have hacked into your account and they don't have your second factor and they can never have your second factor because it's a physical thing. Um, now, the, I said that I don't take advantage of the full uh, range of security that it provides. I actually have it associated with, uh, I think, both of my Google accounts, my primary Google accounts, at least my primary personal one. However, um, Google allows you to say, yeah, I can use this as a second factor, or I can use that as a second factor, mm. or I can use this as a second factor. So pretty much every time I'm logging in for the first time on my Google account on some other piece of hardware, or I've cleared cookies or whatever, um, it says, oh, hey, insert your USB key. And I'll say no. Okay, okay, which of these other alternatives would you like to use? And that's when I fire up Google Authenticator and just type in the number that way, because I've always got my phone with me. Um, I would, yeah. I, uh, I Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I, I, one of the main advantages to it is uh, to prevent phishing attacks, right? And, you know, and the two-factor phishing attempt mm -hmm. is getting more and more common now. People, yes. And it's getting more and more common because more and more people are using two-factor without really understanding what it is or even that they are using it, right? right. They Their bank suddenly tells them that, uh, oh, this is your mobile phone number. I just want to make sure. Okay. And then the next time they try to log on, it says, oh, we just sent you a code. Right. And it's, oh, okay. So they, they'd never signed up for a two-factor. The bank just said, you're now using two-factor. Yep. And they don't understand it. So then when somebody tries to fish them and say, hey, I'm from your bank, we're going to send you a code to, you know, can you please read me that code? You know, they don't understand that they're being fished right. at that point. The the uh, physical key, the hardware key gets around that by the fact that anybody that has one is already on heightened security alerts. That's why they have the physical key. There's that, so, but you can't. Well, it, it, the ones that you said that you read have a number on them. Yes, you're right. Like, yes, absolutely. So the ones that yep. say a six digit number on them. I'd say, boy, you could be fished with that, right? Somebody could call yes. you and say, I need the number that's on your key. But anybody now, anybody today in early 2023 that has a hardware key that shows them a number is not going to be fooled for a second by somebody calling them or messaging them and saying, I need that number. They're going right. to be like, nope, nope. But um, that doesn't mean that it's not the case in the future. The hardware key without that, of right. course, is actually kind of using a number, just a really, really big one. Oh, yeah. um, and you don't know what it is. And if you did, you would not be able to read it out loud on the phone because it's right. probably too long and all that so so it gets around that of course having google say oh you don't want to use your key now fine use your use your google authenticator that kind of defeats the purpose of and, you know, and to be clear that's not google yeah that's, that's me you. i made that choice right if yeah. i wanted to lock down my account and mm -hmm. be even more secure then i would remove Google Authenticator and SMS and oh, all yeah. of the other options, but my YubiKey. Um, now, somebody, uh, uh, one person who uh, corresponds with me occasionally or leaves comments, points out repeatedly that if you're going to do that, if you're going to restrict yourself to just the hardware authenticator, get two. 
because yeah. you're going to lose one. Right? Apple it's insists going to on it. You, so, you can't set it up with Apple's new system without yeah, two. Really? That's yep. that's excellent. So, and the idea is that you would, you know, put one in a safe or some yeah. safe place yeah, so that you've yeah. got it as a backup, but it's already associated. And that's why, like in this, in my Google scenario, rather than having my hardware key and my authenticator being the alternatives, I could have hardware key A or hardware key B be the alternatives. And that way I'd be able to get in. But yeah, it's it's it makes sense for what I would consider to be um, highly sensitive accounts. I would hope that, um, you know, the folks at the data center who have these kinds of, of places that they need to get into that are high security, they use something along these mm -hmm. lines. I would hope that, um, you know, governments and other high, high, uh, sensitive places with sensitive information would, would use something like this, but for the average user, the average consumer, um, I'm with you. The inconvenience is not worth what, um, uh, you know, the security that's providing when compared to something like um, one, you know, time-based one-time passcodes, TOTP, uh, which is essentially Google Authenticator. Mm -hmm. uh, once you associate the software, the Google Authenticator uh, with your account, and you've always got it on your phone, then you're always good to go. Right. I, I, I think one of my main responses for this and for other things is that you would know if you needed this because your IT department would tell you you need this and if oh you're just a home user you don't have an it department yeah this is not for you and right. and i think that is a major part of uh, of the use for these things uh is you know you have a company it's got a thousand employees right. you can't expect all those employees that actually have access to the internal systems right. to be as security minded as your it people so you just give them all these uh hardware keys and don't worry about it because right. now they can't be fished because there is no code that they could read to somebody on the phone or message right. back right. with. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a great thing that Apple you know is doing it and uh, certainly is worthy of the the attention it was getting. But yep. Um, yep. But yeah, um, I don't need it. You don't need it. Nobody. You know, a probably of, most of our listeners don't need it unless your IT department tells you you need it. Then you get it. <laughs> A couple of random, um, just random observations. Um, the way yeah. the YubiKey works, it's a virtual keyboard. So basically when you plug it in, uh, yeah. at some point Google then says, okay, push the button on your YubiKey because there is a little thumb button. Hmm. Um, it types a sequence of characters, which is of course an encoded key, et cetera, et cetera. But there's yeah. nothing that says you can't like, uh, I would open a, a DOS command prompt and yeah. make sure that it has focus and I'd insert my YubiKey and I'd press the button and out would stream this sequence of in unintelligible characters. Um, quite long, but um, that's how they work. And there is still a risk, which I find kind of interesting because um, it is definitely hardware, but that implies that it is also um, at the um, at risk of hardware interception. Uh, mm -hmm. A USB man in the middle, or uh, some potentially some kinds of key loggers, hopefully not, but potentially maybe um, could intercept what's going on. It would have to be used in real time because I believe these are also time-based. Yep, although they are. Yeah. Different, in a different uh, realm. But um, nonetheless, um, as I think I said last week, 
there's no such thing as perfection. Right. Um, this just stacks the deck um, way, 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 way in favor of security. So anyway, yes, cool things. I've got them. Um, I don't use it. It sits mm -hmm. in my desk drawer all day long. I use my phone instead. <laughs> cool. So speaking of cool, yeah, um, I have been watching The Last of Us. Mm. And it's been getting really good reviews. Um, I was mentioning to somebody else, it's Pedro Pascal everywhere. Yeah. Um, he's, you know, he's also the Mandalorian, but um, completely different character here. Um, and it's so two observations, uh, a couple of observations, actually. Uh, one is people are tired of zombies. And I think that there are a lot of people who are just not watching it because they're tired of zombies between The Walking Dead and whatever else has been going on for the last decade or so. Um, you know, it's just to them, it just looks like yet another zombie um, uh, series. Uh, it's done really well. Zombies are slightly different as most series that do zombies are. They, they, they have to differentiate themselves somehow um these are fungal based as opposed to some kind of virus of course yeah and um uh, they're fast zombies as opposed to slow zombies uh, which is the other another characterization of zombies but um it's just it's very interesting it's extremely well done they're doing some really nice storytelling um last night's or the most recent episode um went in a direction that i thought was very very interesting a, a side story if you will um that i thought was very very well done uh that uh, i don't know i just i'm enjoying the series immensely and as it turns out i was reading earlier today that um hbo max um their view their uh, uh viewings of this are like through the roof it's it's really doing well so anyway last of us recommended hbo yeah, I'm tempted. I I love, or I used to love, post-apocalyptic science fiction, is which includes zombies and mm -hmm. other other things. But I got to tell you, as I get older, I still there's still part of me that loves thinking about all the different science fiction aspects of it, and watching shows like The Walking Dead and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But there's also a dark darkness to all of these, obviously, because the mm -hmm. world has ended. Right. Um, that has uh, i don't know maybe it's maybe just getting older maybe it was the pandemic maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah. uh yeah. so i've been avoiding last of us not you know because i i know i would not that because i didn't think i would not like it but because i know i would like it right and i know there'd be a price to pay there 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 is there, there are definitely some it. aspects of it that are pretty dark um, yes and yes um and it is not bloodless <laughs> right there's oh, there's, no, some, yeah. there's some mess associated with it but um but it is like i said there there they do bring some interesting things to it to the genre and uh yeah good storytelling um yeah i mean i i don't really have much new that i've been doing i think i mentioned i was i started uh house of the dragon last week and i finished it so um so that was uh that that was good and did uh, you enjoy it, it i enjoyed it very much and I thought, uh, you know, it was a, it was as as good as any of the seasons of of the Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, like yeah. prime prime series, you know, the main series. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess this isn't necessarily an offshoot. This is a prequel. So this is technically I mean, a prequel. Yes. Technically, if they just keep making seasons, they'll eventually end up at the beginning of Game of Thrones, right? So. Right. You Although know, they've got something like a thousand years to go. So no, I think, only, I think it's only, I think it's only a hundred. I think it would says like at the beginning, it's 172 years before uh, okay. Daenerys okay. is born. But, you know, and I thought I, I, I was curious to see if any of the 
kids, like the little kids in this are actually characters in the oh, eventually. Uh, yes. Eventually. Yes. And then I was thinking, well, I mean, boy, the time, I mean, they could be, I mean, you know, cause people live a long time and they've already, the, the series itself takes place over many years. So now it's not 172 anymore. It's right. less right. and, and all of that. And then I, I, then I looked at a family tree I found online and found out, no, I'm way off. There are many generations, <laughs> uh, to go, okay. uh, many blanks in the tree family tree as well. And of course, then I realized that, you know, Oh, come to think of it. The characters do kind of age really quickly in this, which makes sense considering except for magic, there is, uh, it, things are very primitive. Right. Like I was thinking, it's like, well, you know what? In human history, 200 years, there's a lot of progress. I mean, even if you think, you know, think, oh, medieval. Well, what do you mean? You mean 1400 or 1600? Because there's a lot of technology advanced in those 200 years. But we both right. kind of consider it's like, oh, you know, a medieval times restaurant kind of thing. Either either <laughs> one of those. Right. But but actually, you know, 16, 1600 is well advanced over 1400 in terms of you know, time and, but not in the game of Thrones world, not in Westeros. Yeah. It seems like yeah. things are, they make a lot of effort in that series to show rats climbing around the, <laughs> right. In the, yeah. in the King's chambers, right. Here's the, right. The, the richest person in the world. And there's like rats calling around and it's like, because well, the rats calling around, you know, it's very primitive stuff, you know, leeches for medicine and all this. Um, so yeah, some of the characters age faster than the others, which was probably true uh, in reality at like in medieval times as well, depending on how resistant you were to whatever diseases were going around. Uh, you either looked like an old person when you were 40 or, <laughs> right. or you still looked pretty good at 40, like, you know, which some of the characters definitely right. do. It, mm -hmm. it depends. So that's why they're probably many generations <laughs> and, and we're, we're not in danger. I think in the series of getting anywhere near the beginning of the game of Thrones series. Anyway. Um, it's funny what you, the, what you just described, um, you know, medieval, uh, mm -hmm. England, 1400s, yeah. uh, it reminded me that we're also watching Vikings Valhalla. Ah, okay. Which um, is set in, I think, 1100, something like that. And there's, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's basically lots of um, conflict and visionettes between not just um, Vikings in Norway and such, but also then um, some of their excursions and stuff going on in uh, Northern England. And no. uh, yes, they do a good job of of showing you how brutal life really is compared to what we're used to. Um, you know, everything from, as you say, um, rats at the dinner table to, uh, to any number of, any number of different, different aspects of, of daily life that, uh, that they would take for granted that we would be absolutely uh, shocked by. Mm -hmm. As always, TEH podcast is brought to you by <laughs> Ask Leo and Mac Most. Um, so I'm going to point people at uh, basically one of those take for granted kind of topics that we we probably don't talk about enough. Um, and that is simply how long should a password be? It's askleo.com slash 4844. And this is one of those things that, um, uh, you know, obviously the definition changes over time. It used to be, uh, you know, eight characters, was plenty. Um, it's not, <laughs> for, for the record. Uh, most uh, uh, recommendations have gone up to 12, uh, and most are now actually moving on from even that simply because uh, things are getting uh, 
uh, easier, you know, the the power that hackers are able to bring to bear on some of these databases mm-hmm. of passwords to crack them is becoming more and more powerful. What got me though, and I think I mentioned this last week, we talked briefly about Bitwarden, that um, one of the simplest things you can do to increase the strength of your password by orders of magnitude mm-hmm. is to make it a couple characters longer. Yeah. So the answer to how long your password should be, longer. Mm-hmm. That's yep. it. Yep. Uh, I know. It's. Uh, I remember reading a book about the early encryption, you know, the Enigma machines in World right. War II and, and how one of the ways that they cracked the uh, German codes was, uh, you know, they're uh, figuring out those keys and they would have to create these new keys every day. And they would roll dice to create, right. to make them random, right? So they yep. have dice that had letters and numbers on them and stuff. Right. And they, if somebody would be in charge of, for coming up with the code of the day to rolling these dice. And one of the problems they had is they were uh, not given instructions, or maybe they were, but they ignored them to not have duplicate letters. So, like, if they would roll a, a dice and it would come up with the letter W, and or whatever German the German equivalent to that is, and then w, they happen yes. to roll another <laughs> W, right? They would say, oh, no, that's not good. Having two W's would probably make the password weaker, which is not true. Right. And so they would re-roll that die. And after a while, they noticed that some of the offices uh, you know, in Germany, the passcodes never had duplicate characters in them. And they said, boy, the, peop- the whoever is in charge of doing this may- must think that's bad. But now we've just made it easier, easier. by orders yep. of magnitude by yep. knowing that anytime we figure out one letter of the key, it will not appear in the rest of the key. Yep. And there were certain uh, offices that, you know, because, you know, uh, and countries got, you know, these are the army and the Navy and the, you know, uh, all the different things. And so certain offices, uh, offices that uh, stuff would come out and the British would have it cracked within like an hour. Right. And other ones where they were very meticulous about long keys with, at, you know, just completely random. And those sometimes would take the entire day to decrypt before the next key came out. Right. It's interesting. Anyway, yep. uh, mine uh, for this week is, oh, have you ever used, uh, you know, in your use of terminal, or I don't know if DOS uh, terminal has this, but the basic calculator, BC. It's been years. Uh, uh, yeah. Windows, Microsoft, uh, MS-DOS, et cetera, never had that, but never Linux still Linux. does. Oh, sure. <laughs> and 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 the flavor of Linux, the, the Z shell in uh, that Mac right. uses, and it comes with your Mac, has a BC and the latest version of it, which I, I was in, it seems to be still under development, still adding new things. And I started using it the other day, and I thought this is actually really useful because you can open up a little terminal window. You can have you know, multiple terminal windows. You can style them to look you know, different different colors and fonts right, and all that. Right. And BC is actually really capable and, and it just, it, you know, you could do all these things in it that make it pretty much a superior calculator to any other solution, like a little app calculator, like the one that comes with your Mac or Siri or doing spotlight calculations or a third-party app. It's like BC is really good. They're variables. You could do for loops, <laughs> you know, you could do all sorts of things. I just with... shelled over to my SSH over to my Mac and sure enough, BC is there. Yeah. Yay. So anyway, so I did a video okay. on like, hey, you know, you don't have to be like a terminal whiz at all. You don't have to even know anything else about terminal. Just right. go to terminal, type BC or yep. BC-L for loading all the, you know, the functions and all. And then you've got this really capable calculator. Have that window open to the side. 
you know, big or small or whatever, right. and use that for calculations. Open a second window and have I'm another gonna, window. You know, it's interesting. I'm going to have to play with that some more because yeah. I do find myself every once in a while, okay, go over to the start menu, fire my calculator app or whatever. Or, yeah. um, I've got a um, um, an HP calculator emulator, um, the old yep. HP uh, hexadecimal version. Um, but no, I should play with BC. Because you can know, go up arrow and go to yep. previous calculations. Yep. You, there's a variable called last that always hold the, holds the last one. So if you forget to assign something to a variable, right. it is assigned to last. So you right. could do a calculation and say, oh, I'm going to save that and just type A equals last. And now that's in A, <laughs> you know, and then you could type A plus equals and then some new stuff to add to A, you know, it's a, yeah, lots of cool stuff. Fun stuff. Okay. okay. That almost, almost, almost belonged in Ain't It Cool. But since we're putting yeah. them at your article, great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that pretty much does it for another week. The show notes are over at tehpodcast.com slash teh183. If you've got a comment or question, leave it there. We'll find it. Thanks, okay. as always, for listening. And we will see you here again real soon. Take yep. care. Bye-bye. Okay.